0: Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. How's everybody doing this morning? It was a beautiful day. Thanks for being here at the 9 o'clock. Remember, we're in the new 9 o'clock and we got one at 11 o'clock. And I hope you'll stay around, connect with each other afterwards. Got empanadas and uh, a way to uh, connect and meet uh, new people. Carry on that fellowship that was going on. I'm excited about this morning. We're kicking off our summer series, um, Lessons from the Kings. We're going to jump back into the Old Testament. We tried to kind of go back and forth so we get the full counsel of God. I hope that you will dive in. I'm going to just say up front, this is going to uh, be more information, more study-intensive. Um, We're going to cover a lot of stuff. Um, Hope you'll take notes. If you, uh, there's a lot more behind what I'll say this morning. i uh, putting that out in the a blog. When you get the email, um, the link to um, my blog, you can get, I put it, the, the message this morning into manuscript form for those of you who want the, all of the, my, my own personal notes as well as just a lot of the detailed passages and everything else to use for yourself or in your small group or whatever. So you can go uh, dive into that. Um, This fits great. Some of you that are doing a daily audio Bible are in the midst of Kings right now. So we're going to journey this summer through Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. Not verse by verse, I wish, but we're going to just kind of move through and we're going to pull lessons from the Kings. Um, Folks, we're repeating throughout history uh, things that God has made clear that will bring blessing to individuals, churches societies and whole nations and the lessons are nothing new it's it's nothing new under the sun um so we're going to see God's word here and see what we need to do in this critical time right that we're we're at uh, here in culture so I'm going to just dive in this morning we're looking at this big question folks who is king we got to get this right yes Jesus is king but I ask you this morning, is he king of your heart? And do you really think about that much of nerves? What does it mean for Jesus to be king, ruler, reigning over your life? It's one thing to see him as savior, as friend, as all those kind of things, the one who forgives me, who blesses me. But do you see him as king? And we're going to see this morning also. Do we see him as king of his church? Do we see him reigning and ruling? And do we see an honor of the authority structures that God has put in from the very beginning of time that should be upheld in his body? So the rest of the world can see these things. Is he king of his church? Reigning and ruling and honored, right, among his people around the world right today? How we answer this question, and again, we just go back uh, to what we're going to read this morning. How they answered this question determined the kind of people they become, determined the families they had, determined the society they had, determined the whole, determined the whole course of nations. This question, how we answer that question, and what we're going to see this morning as we go back to the beginning. And if you have your Bibles um, this morning. If you'll turn to me with um, to this book of Judges and we're just going to move quickly into the first part of 1 Samuel this morning um, and see what happened in Israel. Israel came to the point where they rejected God as their king. They were set apart as this wonderful people to be uh, represent God, his covenant, his blessings, all of this to the, shine the light to the world and the nations. And we just see the whole Old Testament is this journey of decay, and we're going to see where the the story of the kings begins, is Israel rejecting God, right, as as their king. Um, So all the way back to uh, Judges, but um, what I have this morning for us, folks, is the best I can do, and uh, to crunch this down into about 35 minutes or so, is three lessons that we're going to look at. I hope you'll take these, um, think deeply about them. I have a lot of verses, and I'm not gonna obviously cover all those, but I'm gonna try to span together for us the message, God's glorious movement from the Old Testament into the New Testament, into from the kings, from Israel, all the way into the New Testament, into the church and the power and understanding of what church is today. We need a full... R- Revival, restitution. We need a whole awakening in the church today to understand what it is. What the church represents today. And so, this is the first lesson. God, in his divine tolerance, his wonderful patience, his kindness, uses Israel's sin of rejecting him as king to prepare the way for redemption through King Jesus who is the head of the church today, representing his kingdom on earth through his church until he unites all things in heaven and earth together when he returns. Now, folks, in that one little paragraph, we just covered the course of God's purpose from the Old Testament, right, into the New Testament. But one of the things I I want, and we're going to see here in the text, uh, is that, We read this and we go, why are they doing this again? They continue to sin, they continue to reject God after seeing all the glorious things that they saw, after all the things that God did for them, redeeming them, taking them out of Egypt, giving them covenant promises, on and on and on, but they continue to reject God, they continue to go their own way. And, um, and people have asked these questions. You read the Old Testament. You say, ah, why? why do, it seems like God is blessing all of these sinful, like polygamy. Where does that come from? Or all these kind of things. Um, remember, Israel rejected God as their king. And they got the consequence of that. It didn't mean that God rejected them as a people. We're going to read it here. He loves them. He made a covenant with them. He's going to carry it out. But they got what they asked for. Now, this is really important, is that God will give us sometimes what we ask for. It's not necessarily a blessing from him. You got to know the difference. Solomon asked for wives, 700, 300 or the other way around, whatever it is. He got what he asked for, and they moved his heart away from God. And so anytime when you read this, if you get aghast like, how is God allowing these things to happen? I want to bring you back to his incredible tolerance, patience, kindness. And I could take you to Romans 3 where Paul lays it out. It's in his that he waited to bring judgment before the cross so he could be the justifier, the forgiver of those who put their faith in Jesus. And so even in our lives, when we read this, we oh, we need to look today. Let's bring this forward today. And we look around. And we should look with horror. To realize that God does not, there's never been nations in the world, folks, who are anywhere. We've gone places, no nation's gone. In rejecting the authority of God, his clearly laid out structure, he will not leave it unjudged. The history of the world is clear. But what he's looking for is a people to rise up. Who see him as king. Who restore and come together and plead. And we'll get there in Chronicles for their nation. For their people to begins with their church to be revived. Holding on to this gracious loving God. For him to come and do Something wonderful, beginning with their families, moving on out, right, to the nation. And so, um, this is just one principle. As we move through here, realize, when you come across things like, how can can these guys have this many wives? Or how can they let this kind of stuff go on? Or things like, why isn't God judging this? Because God is incredibly gracious and patient, and thank God, he is, right, in each of our lives. It's his kindness that leads us, right, Romans 2, to salvation. The butt of that is we'll see is that we must, right, there is a time to repent. There's a time to come and get right with him. There's a time, as we see in Judges, where God... And, and all through here where God brings it, it, the, the end. Only he knows when that time is done. And it's time for judgment. Because that judgment is sometimes what it takes to sadly wake up a people, right? All right, you with me? Um, so let's just journey here. Let me take you back to Judges. We're going to kind of move through some some verses. Judges chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat back in front of you. I encourage you to follow along. If not, listen carefully. You can go to the notes. I encourage you to dive in and think deeply on these things. So I'm going to just take a moment and break down this first lesson. This lesson permeates. you. To understand the flow through the kings, you have to understand uh, this paragraph. If you, to understand, to make the connection from kings in the Old Testament into the New, you've got to understand that this is the flow of God's purpose, of what he was doing. Um, even in the midst of Israel's rejection, right, of God as king. After he chose them to be his wonderful people. So, here's what's happened is um, God delivered people out of Egypt. Um, Moses took them. You know, Moses got them into the promised land, though Moses wasn't able to go himself. Um, God commanded his people to go in and take the land. And they continued to not obey completely. Um, and this is something else we'll see. Partial obedience is not obedience. Um, and we see this over and over again. We'll see it with King Saul, the first king, is that he said he obeyed God, when he didn't. He partially obeyed. Which we'll see comes with great consequences. That is not right obedience. And we get to uh, Moses turns it over to, uh, to uh, Joshua. Joshua brings the conquest into the promised land. And, uh, and it says all through Joshua and into Judges that um, uh, the, the, the God's people followed the Lord. They followed the ways of the Lord because you had faithful leaders like Joshua and Joshua. Who was passed down faithfully from Moses to Joshua. Joshua faithfully passed down the covenant promises to um, the elders of, uh, of Israel. And uh, those were the ones who led Israel with hearing from the voice of God. And generations went by and they, they, uh, <clears throat> they faithfully served him. But here in chapter 2 of Judges we see a shift. And down here, verse 10, it says, And there arose another generation after them, listen to this, who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. There's a breakdown in the passing down of the faith. There's nothing more important, nothing more important when it comes to the reviving of a people, a healthy church, a healthy nation, Like the healthy passing down of faith from one generation to another. And we'll see this continued um, kind of cycle and breakdown. The very end of Judges, the very last verse of Judges, many of you know how this ends. Judges 21-25, it ends this judging period. And the Judges were just uh, people that God assigned, right, to be the vocal point to lead God's people in God's way. Um, and it says this in verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There's the first experiment in relativism. This is the first experiment and you you do you. Your truth is your truth. This is the first experiment. How did it go? Utter chaos. Utter destruction of a nation. We could go down the line. Utter immorality. I mean, it's just total tear down. And again, I just say, are we learning? And folks, here, listen to this, is the world does not want God. The world wants a king. The world does not want God. The world wants a king and political power. The world wants somebody to lead them. They don't want God. Every nation in the world, even now Israel, is breaching that issue. We want a king. We want to be like the other nations. And I'll talk a little bit about just showing the powers behind every nation or the world and um, the evil forces and principalities that have fallen from heaven that work against the kingdom of God. Um. Folks, if you struggle with a supernatural worldview, if you struggle with the idea of a spiritual realm as we're going to see powers, principalities that actually rule and reign and are behind all the powers of the nations is I encourage you to dive in because you will not get the context of, of the word of God. You will not understand the gospel itself. You will not understand the history of the world anything about the Bible unless you are able to replace your Western empirical worldview that you've been trying in with a biblical worldview that's spiritual. Everything that happens here is being moved by what's happening in the spiritual realm. And if you know Jesus and you've been saved, Ephesians said you've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Your prayers move into heaven and move down into the very principalities and things that happen in this world. That's how God's church moves, right? Right um, things is through prayer because behind everything that's happening there's spiritual powers that are behind those things. Does that make sense? I can't cover all that in detail. You can go again to the manuscript and get some of those verses and everything but I encourage you if you wrestle with that if you're stuck in a very material world is man please journey with us. Talk to us. It's because you will not get the gospel. You will not get the Bible unless you're able to open up and understand we live in a spiritual world. Um, Alright, so let's move into Samuel. And uh, here we go. James chapter 8, verses 1. I'm going to read probably this, most of this chapter. And then we'll finish up this point 1. So Samuel, um, we move out of Judges. Chaotic time. What does God do? He's gracious. If he just left us to our own... Well, we see what happens. We saw what happened before the flood. We saw what happened at the end of Judges. If we're left to ourselves without God's gracious intervening, and folks, can anybody give testimony of that? In our own personal lives, when we wander, we wander from God, and sovereignly, God graciously continues to, right, come and and put somebody in our life, continue to woo us back to Him, continue to, right, be there as steps of love and kindness along the way. And he does as well with the nation. Chapter 8, 1 Samuel. When Samuel became old, so uh, let me step back, Samuel, so what does God do? He intervenes in the times of, of judges and what we see is Eli is the priest of, of uh, Israel. He also operates as the judge. And what we're going to see in, in here in the, one of these last points is Eli, um, he did not... Lead his own children in the ways of the Lord. And um, Samuel, God raised up to come alongside and take over from Eli. And tragically, Samuel didn't either. And just pay attention here. We're going to circle back to this. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. He used his power and influence to put his children into a place of influence But he did not, the judge of all Israel, the one that God raised up, he did not lead them to know the heart of God. And look at the consequences. The name of his firstborn was Joel. The name of the second was Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when he said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel Prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And so as I said before, sometimes what we ask for is not a blessing. If we get even what we ask for, it's not a blessing from the Lord. Sometimes it's a consequence. And the key is, do we know the difference? And the key is, do we know how to lean into the gospel, lean into God's graciousness? Now, the next section here, I'm going to leave it to you to read, is that Samuel now comes to the people and goes, okay, you're going to get what you asked for. But here's the deal, before I give that to you, let me tell you what's going to radically change. And if you read this section, what you'll see is, what God is saying, this is what life is going to be like if you have a human king. If you're like all the other nations, here's the course of a king, here's the course of an earthly government. It is going to slowly abuse you, pull from you, your children, it's going to impose upon you ultimately ungodly things and it slowly sometimes rapidly is going to remove freedom from you if you want man to rule over you instead of me um hence the consequence of every kingdom every government in the history of the world in this series we'll circle back to this glorious experiment that we've had here in America um and talk about that um And what maybe the Lord has for us, right? Uh, But remember, every nation is ruled by the worldly principalities. The devil himself and all the other principalities that have fallen from heaven and the rulers are behind every nation in the world that is in opposition to God reigning his ultimate kingdom. Now, this doesn't mean we have good leaders and we should be involved and and we should be working in there, but in general, all of the forces, right? And even today, let's just throw, I mean, I'm not gonna, there's so many things, right? It's like, you, you sit back and go, how can that be happening? How can this be happening in America? How can this be happening so quick in our culture? It's because it's spiritual. It's not political. It's primarily spiritual what is happening. We are seeing the same thing that we've seen in Israel and we're going to see here in the text. When God pulls his hand off, he gives a people the consequence of what they've asked for and what they've done. It's spiritual and those spiritual authorities move in on a government and they start moving right away right from God in a powerful way. And so, let me pick up down in... Uh, so here he is. He tells them, this is what it's going to look like. This is terrible. You don't see the people repent and say, oh, wait a minute. Let's think about this again. No, God, we want you as king. But verse 19, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. You see, it's easier sometimes just to rely on the government than it is on faith in God and personal responsibility. I'm yes. say it again. It's a lot easier, and I'll say it for the church too in a minute, but out there it's a lot easier to rely on the government to do something, other people to reign and rule and do something, than for me to have to worry about it and take personal responsibility. As soon as a, a, a culture moves that direction, government takes over. The powers and principalities take over, right? Inside the church, inside Israel, oh Lord, it's much easier. Give us a priest. Give us somebody else to do this work of prayer and serving you, right? It's much easier. We just want to do our thing. Let's let those people do their thing. It's much easier. Lord, just tell me what to do. It's much easier just to go about religion, go through the sacrifices and all this than it is to take the time to hear you, God, and to pursue you and wait on your voice and to have a relationship with you, God. And we'll come to that here in just a second. But the people, no, give us. We want to be like the other nations. And to see the utter, to to understand the magnitude of what's happening here. And the shift of what Israel's thrust into now, which the rest of the Old Testament. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice, make them a king. And Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go, every man to his city. You could go to chapter 12 up here and you would see at the end of Samuel's life he rebukes the people again. You have forsaken God as your king. And, uh, and the people realize at this point, right, because now the first king was Saul and Saul ended up not being a great king and some of the things that they feared, right, would happen. And, uh, but, but it's beautiful in one sense. So here's, if you go to chapter 12, though Samuel holds before the people what they had done before God, he says, but God will not forsake you. He will not leave you. He will journey with you. He will bring about his glorious plan because he made a covenant of salvation. Now, let me journey, take us on this quick route where this takes us into the New Testament. In other words, that God is allowed, he, in other words, God works with our sin. He works with our mistakes, whether it's my personal sin and screw-ups, or whether it's a society, yeah, thank the Lord, right? And, and, he, and this takes us back to Romans eight twenty eight. we have to stand upon, Lord, I know you work all things for good for those who love you. For those who love you. But I can't just sit there and, and then, right, go, oh, well, then anything goes. That's not how grace works. Right? Again, what Samuel said, though he's with you people, do not turn from him to other gods or other ways or he will depart from you and you will re- reap the consequences of that. Right? Now, here's what's amazing is that God is working in the whole story of the Old Testament. She'd show us Right, that earthly governments will always work against God's kingdom. This is always. Even the kings of Israel. We're going to journey with some of these guys. Even the little reforms that take place. It's just for a little time before ah, here we go again. Right? Back to decadence and back to falling apart again when there's a rejection of God. Well, God is working His plan because His ultimate plan, folks, is how is He going to reign? How is God going to be king in this world? And have a people who have a free will, who love Him genuinely, and how can we unite all this back together again like going back to the garden, but better, right? In other words, Ephesians chapter 1 is that God, it tells us this great and glorious plan of God which is to unite everything in heaven and earth together with Him reigning and ruling in the kingdom of God there. That's what we long for. That's what all this is about. This is where it's all headed. It's just in the time period. How is God fleshing this out in this world, preparing the way for that? Well, He's starting inside each and every one of our souls. And today, folks, the kingdom of God reigns here. The move of the gospel is here, and we get to chapter 3 of Ephesians, and uh, some beautiful things there. It talks about the church is now the place where the kingdom is to be represented on the earth. Now, is that how you've grown up understanding church? I want to repeat this, because this needs to sink in. The church around the world today This is the mystery that Paul talked about that was revealed to him, right? In the pouring out in the book of Acts, the beginning of the church, is that God is reigning and ruling. He, how is he with Israel failing at the task? The shift from the old and out of the kings in Israel, right? And Israel being, what, taken out unto the nations? And the kind of the glory, the presence of God being removed from the temple? Wow! Well, look at that in this series. What is God doing? Man, this mystery, he's moving the temple right here, inside your heart. He's preparing a people for himself. Right, he's doing what the Old Testament, Old Covenant could never do, right? And he used all the the sin, the mess-ups of Israel, right? To prepare the way for his glorious plan of salvation through his son, who's king, who reigns here first. And then in the creation of the church out of the book of Acts, right? In, in Jesus coming and bringing his people together. In chapter 3 of Ephesians, we'll get to this passage. It's amazing. It says, now the manifold wisdom of God is revealed to the powers and the principalities in the heavenly realm through what? Through the church. Not Israel. Not a government. Not a nation. But through the church In all nations. And this is why the great commission is to go make disciples. Yeah, don't just teach them stuff. Teach them what I taught you. Baptize them. Immerse them in fellowship. Intimate knowledge of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That there might be these wonderful representations of the kingdom of God. Jesus' whole sermon them out is about the church representing the kingdom, shining as a city on a hill, as a light unto the world. This is to be the place that models Jesus reigning and ruling in our hearts to begin with, in families, in marriages, among our children, among the generations. This is the place that upholds. The churches uphold the, the authority structures that God laid down from the very beginning. And to say to the watching world, this is the kingdom of God. This is the place of blessing. This is the place of renewal. This is the place of the generations to come. And to grow and to know God. And to know him as king. This is the place where our citizenship is in heaven with God. It's not primarily as Americans or wherever else. It's with God, waiting upon His kingdom to come. We are Americans. We live in this. Our role is to represent the kingdom of God to this culture, right? That they might see God and turn to Him. That hopefully, there'll be a grand turning outside of a healthy, powerful church where Jesus is reigning. There is no hope for America. It's not governmental change first. It's the church. Until the church in America wakes up. Until there's a renewal. Jesus as king. And God's people again living like him as king. And under his rule and authority. And modeling. Right? And the testimony of the renewal of the generations. The renewal and salvation. And radical transformative stories of healing. And, and uh, uh, releasing from bondage and deliverance. The church is not going to. We're going to continue to go. The way we are. Until we're strong and know how to push back through prayer, right? And other things. And tr- when we do jump out and get involved, because we need to, right? We're operating by the Spirit and understanding the king that we represent, not the political party that we represent. Very important, okay? Um, so, the world, the world wants a king. They don't want God. The church... Rises above any political, any nation that it exists in. And puts a stake in the ground. And says, we might live and be citizens of America, but we serve ultimately King Jesus. We don't serve any president. We don't serve any, we honor them. We honor them and we serve them as citizens of that nation. But our King is Jesus. And his authority reigns over everything we do. It determines our morality. It determines what we do. He is King. And it's sad, folks, again, I don't want to digress, but for me, COVID was the greatest disappointment of the response of the church to cower instead of a stand upon the authority of who we are. In the face of whatever comes our way, we make a stand. Jesus is our king, right? No matter what the government says, we stand on this, especially, obviously, if it's in contradiction to what God calls us to, right? All right. Um, oh let me step back last verse here first Peter folks um, he says this says honor Christ as Lord as King in your hearts be ready to make a defense of anyone who asks you to give an account of the hope that is in you alright honor Jesus in your heart are you honoring him am I honoring him as King of my heart when we honor him as king of our heart, people will take note. Why do you have so much hope? All right? Boy. Anybody need hope? Does, any, does our nation need a hope? All right? All right, lesson two. Partial obedience is not obedience. In Samuel, 1 Samuel 15 We move into the first king is appointed, right? And and already we see things happening, right? Um, Because the people wanted an earthly king. And and this was King Saul. And uh, we see that Saul did not serve the Lord with all of his heart. Partial obedience. And Saul tried to argue with Samuel, but I have obeyed God. Samuel's like, no you didn't. You didn't do what he said. You only did part of what he said. And then you tried to spiritually manipulate God's word. And folks, this is what's happening today in our churches. We're spiritually manipulating the word of God according to the pressures of culture. God will not stand for that. That's partial obedience, which is not obedience. Um, Jesus looking for right, His children. When he is king, we obey. We listen and we obey. It's a relational thing. I, I realize that my actions are personal. It's personal. Is Jesus reigning on the throne of my life, determining my my life? Is he, is he the king of my decisions? Is he the Lord of my life? Or am I just going through the motions? Religious motions and other motions. And for Saul, that's what he was doing. And chapter 15 is this famous line <clears throat> where he doesn't obey God's command. He was commanded to go out and out of God's judgment upon the Amalekites is that he withheld the spoil. Oh, but I was going to... Here's all the spoil. I'm going to withhold this and I'm going to give this back to you, God, as a sacrifice. And Samuel comes to him with these words. Has the Lord... This is chapter 15, 1 Samuel, uh, verse 22. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice... As in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of deviation. And presumption is as iniquity and adultery. God looks upon the heart. Um, And so again, obedience. What do we say? As Jesus, to get him as Lord of my life means that I am deferring to him on everything. I'm not in argument like soul, but God, man, look what culture's doing. I see what the Bible says, but ah, but look where culture's going. Let me just try to No, I'm not gonna hack it. And then the last lesson, and let me just in this, just say John ten twenty. What did Jesus say in the New Testament? My sheep, they hear my voice. I know them. And they follow me. Folks, that has to be restored. Nothing more deep and important for for the Christian life and discipleship to know. Do you know him? Do you hear his voice? And are you following him? Or is it just a religious routine like we see modeled in all of these kings? Oh, they would honor God. But not with their heart. And then that takes us to this last lesson, folks. Um... This one I want to end with. Lots of passages here. But folks, healthy people, churches, nations are dependent upon the passing down of generational faith where the next generation knows the voice and heart of God and that Jesus is king. Folks, we've got to just get our arms around this. Healthy people, churches, nations are completely dependent upon the passing down Of generational faith, not denominationalism, not just going through religious motions, but generational faiths that your children, grandchildren, the children—they know the Lord. They know the Lord. Um, and we see the tragedy here in the beginning. We see not only with Samuel, but with Eli. I mean, and it says some, uh, I'm not even going to read it. It says some incredibly harsh things about these sons. They both put them in positions of honor. Samuel or Eli put his sons in, in, uh, put them into the, uh, make them judges and priests and they abuse the people. And here's the key. When the people are sitting back, part of the reason why they're like, give us a king is because we don't want your sons reigning over us. And so when God's religious leaders, this is, an indictment upon the church and our own leadership. When the people see the failures of religious leaders, what are they turn? Number one is they turn away from the church. And guess where they turn now? Who is their allegiance? It's the government. It's the politics of the day. And folks, this is why the church has to restore because you have a whole generation of Americans now who, because, not solely, we have personal responsibility in this, but when they see abuses, right, like Eli's and Samuel's sons, is they, oh, I don't want that. I want to, give me a king. I'll just go. I'm going to just follow the government. I'm going to depend on the government of the land. Does that make sense, gang? There's a powerful thing there. And so healthy people, churches, nations are dependent on this passing down. And here's it is they, they put their sons into privileged positions of power, but they did not teach their sons to know the Lord. To know the Lord. Um and folks, the rest of the kings as we come through, we're gonna see this, this trauma of, of just the breaking of the generations. The breaking of the generation. There's nothing, there's no more critical thing. We can, and so I guess what, maybe I want us to all get sober with here is God's people to represent the kingdom is, is that we need to pull back on our horror maybe of, of taking all the time to, oh, look how bad things are out there. Look at how things are going. We need to start right here. The reason America, here's the harsh truth. The reason America is where it's at today. Doing things that are even worse then the the nations that were destroyed in in the times we're going to look at is one reason. It's because the church has not passed down faith to the next generation. We have not passed down personal faith. And here it is. This is not generational wealth. Generational faith will not follow generational wealth. It is generational faith. What will follow that is a blessing. That is the breakdown. And that until we as a church, as a people, get a hold of that. And folks, I rejoice just in our church here is to see multiple generations of people following the Lord passionately. And folks, this is where we all, as a parent, a grandparent, There should be nothing more burning on our heart. Lord, let my children know you. Above all other things, I need to put it all aside. No matter what I'm leaving them, doing for them, what positions of power. I don't freaking care what college they go to, what they do. They need to know the Lord. If they don't, they're going to go the way of a lost generation. And until we just get honest with each other on this, we're not going to move the dial towards God. And the good news is, folks, you know the whole Old Testament? You know how it ends in Malachi right before we get into the New Testament? The very last verses of the Old Testament are a prophecy that says when Elijah comes, what God's going to do, he's going to restore the father's hearts to their children. Yes, that's what it's all about. Yes. So that's where we have to start. And folks, this is tough. We all are like, right now, every one of us is, whether we're grandparent or parent, we're thinking, Lord! But I want to restore and realize this is the role of the church to get on, lock arms with each other, pray for each other's children, serve one another, plead, intercede. Lord, move that my children, grandchildren, grandchildren's children may know the Lord. Not that just that they go through the motions, that they know the Lord. That's the issue. Make sense? So, Father, um, Lord, my heart, I think of John, so I know I have no greater joy than to see that my children are walking in your truth. Lord, I rejoice, Lord, in seeing the testimonies in this church. But Lord, I know too that many of us we long to see breakthrough, Lord, in our children, grandchildren, Lord, others' children. Children in the church, Lord. Where's the fire, Lord? Where's the desire to know you, God? Lord, wake us up. Stir our hearts as parents and grandparents. And Lord, to Lord revive your church as this large family of God that serves each other, that serves one another's children, that intercedes for each other, Lord. Lord, for your glory in this day. In this age, Lord, may this truth, may this lesson, Lord, healthy people, churches, nations, we are dependent upon the passing down of generational faith. There is nothing more important, God. Please, Lord, in this day, restore that to your people, God. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.